So if tech doesn't sweep, then we can uh, talk about the sky falling. Call a split this weekend. Oh, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> someone put up the. We, someone put we might up have to have you sing that for next week's episode <laughs> if things don't go well. <laughs> there we go. We got our intro. Tech Hockey Guide presents the Chasing McNaughton Podcast, covering the Michigan Tech Huskies and the WCHA with your host, Tim Brown, Rob Gilreath, and Dustin Lindstrom. Welcome to episode 10 of the Chasing a McNaughton podcast. Before we get going, we have another round of patrons to thank. We picked up five more this week, plus Dave Corpy upgraded to the black level. Our newest patrons are Mark Holmstrom, Gordy Smith, Zach Oftenberg, I think, Lucas Wilder, and Mark Miskerick. Is that Miskerick? You guys can correct me on your names when you listen if you want, uh, and we'll fix them next week. Thank you so much to all the new patrons. We're only six away from me having to start the monthly recruiting podcast. We had a goal of 20. So if you guys want to join and help us hit that goal, please check out patreon.com slash techhockeyguide. This week we're going to discuss the Bemidji series, take a deep dive on the WCHA, and preview the Fair State series plus your questions. And we'll talk non-MTU jerseys with Ryan Johnson a little at the end. Anything big that I'm missing, guys? Dustin, shaking your head makes for excellent podcast material, Dustin. <laughs> oh, my bad. All right. All right, let's do the thank you notes plus a brief note from our sponsor, and we'll come back and start with the Bemidji series. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, so let's start with the Bemidji series. I don't think that really went the way any of us were hoping. I don't really remember what you – Rob, what did you predict? I, I don't remember, to be honest. I think I picked the – did I pick a split? I might have picked a split. And you picked a – what you pick, Dustin? I think I picked Tech to Sweep, but I okay. don't remember. Then I, I think I went with you and I think you sweep, agreed with so. Dustin, yeah. Yeah, I think I agreed with Dustin on both of them that in the northern series uh yeah so we got that all wrong yay uh, yay <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean that's that's what you guys that's what our patrons are paying us for this great input that's totally wrong it was just, we were close on the northern just, series we were close on the northern northern series that is true yeah i can't believe northern had two five minute majors and couldn't score on either one of them yeah, I and I never looked into it to see if Cornell is supposed to be that good on special teams or not, but they, it was pretty impressive that they didn't end up losing that Friday game the way the penalties and everything went. It's just a way to make me feel better for us going one for seven. Yeah. Because that was also sad. 
Yeah, it's it's frustrating too because it doesn't. I don't. It's weekends like this that I hate the six point system because I don't feel like we deserve one sixth of what we could have got. Like the, that's what a, I don't like about it is it feels like you know I'd rather you know one fourth of that that weekend feels a whole lot better. There's a simple solution to that. We just eliminate all the stupid crap and uh, end the game at a tie. You don't want super time, huh? I don't want super time, and I don't want stupid shootouts. All right. Damn it, Indy! She's a Nazi. <laughs> what I've been watching, watching the Indy. I've been watching the Indiana Jones marathon on uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Paramount Network since I got home from work and stuff, and it's still on. And Dustin's making some comment about Dustin's it. Dustin squirreling. Yeah, I can see Dustin staring off into the distance to where a TV must be. <laughs> It's yeah. Indiana Jones. <laughs> it's a commercial, so let's talk and get some other stuff done. Um, yeah, I, Bemidji's a good team. We did not play our game Friday night at all. Um, I, I thought Joe's comments this week, uh, well, actually during the, um, I think it was pregame on Saturday night, he kind of talked about the the defensive situation with uh uh, you know, the limited number of, I forget what side of the defense he had, but, you know, basically um, when they don't, what did he say? When they don't have enough left-handed Ds, Rockwell's really good at switching over to the right side. Yeah, that was that was on the Joe show today. Rockwell can switch over, but they had goats playing the wrong way, and he was really uncomfortable with it. Yeah. I believe was the comments from today's Joe show. Yeah, they tried a few different players on Friday night that, to switch the sides and it didn't work. And Datama so they ended just up playing. <laughs> and Datama took penalties. Yeah, Datama needs, like, he's not quite there yet. So that's why they played Watson on Saturday to try and have the right handedness. Um, I didn't look it up to see, but based on some of the other stuff he said this week, I was kind of surprised that Buckley doesn't get that ability to participate if he's the right handedness. And maybe that'll change at home when you have Did more Buckley flexibility to. No, Watson was the only guy that gotcha. traveled. Yeah, that because they because they're not traveling twenty three like they can, which makes some sense with the travel cost of taking one more person. You you you're getting one more hotel room, but somebody's staying alone, and makes it makes sense to me that maybe we that that's something we can ask if we get the somebody from the WCHA on. Although I guess it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter too much when there's a year left of it a year left of us being a part of that but you know why why 23 why not just go to 24 so it makes more is sense is that a WCHA thing or an NCAA thing where is that WCHA. rule come from is it okay it's, no, a, it's sure. a conference rule limiting travel so i yeah i don't know it didn't go the way we wanted dustin did you listen or pay attention highlights anything yeah i pay paid attention yeah watch the highlights yeah it wasn't Friday night was just really depressing. I thought I, I expected them to compete a little bit better. Um, not that they weren't trying or anything. Obviously, they were, but uh, they they just didn't perform like I expected. Yeah, it was not the performance I expected either at all. Saturday was better. And 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 Joe, it goes back to Joe saying about how they did play better defense on Saturday. They had a terrible breakdown that cost them the extra point in in super time. Yeah. But 
overall, they played a good game, only allowing one goal, and the offense comes and goes because they really don't have a a dominant scorer to do otherwise with that. But it was frustrating. I did not expect them to to play that badly and come away with one point this weekend. And it and it sets up, you know, it it's disappointing to come away with one point the last two weekends when you're playing the good teams that it helps you catch them when you're taking points away from them. Now we have to play, you know, we have an easier schedule, but we don't have that chance to take points away from somebody we're trying to catch. Luckily, Bemidji's playing Mankato. Yeah, luckily, Bemidji has a tough schedule ahead. But Bemidji is playing Mankato in a series where if they play well, they could be in first place. They could. I'm actually shocked that Bemidji's as close to them as they are. I was too when I saw that. Are there games in hand for either one there, or is it even up at this point? They're even. Well, everybody everybody has 18 games played except Northern's played 20, or sorry, Northern's played 16 and Alaska's played 20. Everybody else has played 18. Gotcha. We're all even except for those two? Yep. But, you know, Bemidji State's played, I mean, we guess we can get into this now, our, our deep dive, or start our deep dive on the WCHA, play the little music in the background right now. <laughs> That'll help me later. Um, you know, <laughs> you, you're going to go back to your whistling from, <laughs> he was trying to whistle the Indiana Jones thing earlier. There we go. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to save that audio for later and use it regularly now. Um, yeah, so I went through and did a deep dive on the conference because we've gotten a lot of questions, or, or Joe gets a lot of questions too, you know, or just the boards in general, a lot of people complaining about how the season's gone. And, it, you know, somebody said something about how Michigan Tech's firmly in sixth place right now. And they are in sixth place, and it's not – like what are they five points i think back of uh fourth is that right yeah no they're seven points back of northern and fourth so they're seven points out of home ice and northern has two games on hand in that and they are eight points back of alaska who they have two games in hand on alaska and you know that that's a lot to make up but of the top six, Michigan Tech has the least number of games played against those bottom four teams, and they play their next eight games against them, and that's Lake State, Ferris, Huntsville, and Anchorage. And they've won all four games they've played so far. Now, granted, they've only played two of those bottom four so far, and you know they've got games on the road against Ferris and Lake. Is that right? No, Fer- Ferris or Huntsville. Ferris and Huntsville are the road games, and the yep. uh, the Lakers and Ferris at home. Yeah, we, so they don't play Anchorage again. They swept Anchorage. State. They play they play Lake State on the road. Or they already did and swept them. So now they get them at home. Yet is that right? Yep. Yeah. The remaining schedule is Ferris at Huntsville, Lake State at Ferris, and the split with Northern. Okay. Yeah. So Tech has only played four games against the bottom four. That's like the next closest of the the top six is eight, which uh, Minnesota State. Uh, Alaska, Northern, and Bemidji or Bowling Green have all played them eight times. Everybody else has closer to a balanced schedule against the bottom, or a favorable schedule against the bottom right now. Like Bemidji State, they're in second place, but two thirds of their games have been against that bottom four so far, and they have a tough schedule left. Right? It's it's 
Minnesota State this coming week. Is that right, Dustin? Is yeah. that what you said? Yep. Yeah, Bemidji's got the toughest schedule left of the teams left. Yeah, they have all except for one series. We talked about this last week, didn't we, or two weeks ago. Right. So yep. they have Minnesota State. They host Bowling Green. They go to Northern. They go to Alaska to play Anchorage, and then they host Minnesota State to end. So, you know, the rest of their schedule is mainly against the other top six. They've done well against them, but, you know, and, and really, like, you know, Tech has been bad against them, but if they go, not that they will, but what is that? So, Well, looking at your sheet, yes. we've got the worst record against the top six of the top six. We do, but if we, well, actually, we don't, Bowling Green does. No, Bowling Green's at uh, 529. We're at 500, if I'm reading this right. Oh, that's total. Never mind. Uh, I think you didn't get the latest. How many games does yours have, say, Tech Plate? 17 or 18? 17. I guess you didn't get the latest file. Looking at old data. Me. <laughs> the results yeah, are skewed. Looking at old data. <laughs> so right now, uh, and that's probably why, because Bowling Green lost um, – on Saturday, and so did, and we tied, so we moved up a little bit. And this is counting a tie as half, not a tie as... Oh, okay, gotcha. There's no shootouts in this. This is NCA record. So, um, yeah, so Bowling Green is uh, 35% against the top six. Tech is 36% right now. And if they somehow sweep Northern at the end of the year, they'll be at like 44%. So they'll be close to the other teams that they're competing with as long as you know like it's a lot like how in baseball like the yankees and red sox basically play 500 ball against each other and then hope the hell they kick the crap out of uh tampa or i can't even think who's the other team in the baltimore uh, like toronto or or baltimore like they just beat the crap out of them and that's how like most of the time your good baseball teams are you know we're going to be 500 against the good teams right now we're below that and you want to be better than that and i think even last year if you look at our record like we did not do well against the top six much like this year and we we did we got a lot of our wins against the bottom and the reason we didn't get home ice is because we didn't so yeah like we it's similar to this year where we're dominating the bottom and doing badly against the top and we need to improve that, and it's going to be a problem when the conferences reshuffle if we're still doing this. But right. But Dustin's analysis is kind of the other part of this where I asked over the weekend, I asked if Dustin could dig into the the classes a little bit more because, you know, we're a young team, and, and Joe beats that drum a lot, and I wanted a little more analysis into whether or not that, like how true that is. Yeah, so Dustin, tell us a little about what you found in the analysis. So what I did was uh, I, I took the top six teams in the league and I looked at what their point production and games played by class, uh, so freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors, to see where see uh, where they're getting the most of their, their minutes and see where they're getting their points. And a few things jumped out. The one thing that you would will see right away in points by class, Mankato is getting a ton of points from their seniors and juniors, which is not surprising at all. Um, they really dominate the chart for seniors and juniors with 
Um, Bowling Green's get a lot, getting a lot from their juniors too, but um, uh, you, you, you'll definitely see the, the purple bars dominating at the top of the well, seniors and juniors. Tech, on the other hand, uh, has a spike at sophomores, which we do expect. Both Tech and Northern have uh, pretty strong sophomore classes based on what we're seeing here, and, and none of this is, is really surprising. Um, going a little bit deeper into the data, and looking at Mankato specifically, since that was um, a topic that Joe brought up on the show this week, Mankato, I, I think, specifically. Yeah, he talked a lot about um, Mankato's depth and how how a lot of their scratch players and fourth liners and the extra skater, like pretty much all of them would probably be, I think he said top six or top top six forwards, top four defensemen. You know, at least they're you know they'd be playing every day for te- or every game for pretty much everybody else in the conference. Mm-hmm. That was his comment. Yeah, so th- we don't have data to specifically prove that, but there's some data that lends a little credence to what he's saying, I think. And that is, if you look at Mankato, you can see their freshman class, for example, is not getting a lot of games played. It's the lowest games played of any team in the conference. But the freshmen that are playing are scoring the most points in the conference. So they have the lowest games played by freshmen and the highest points by freshmen. So that's telling me that they've got, the, you know, I, I, I think that's showing that they have some depth. Uh, it's not a direct comparison, but it, I think it's a little piece of evidence that's the case. On the other hand, Mankato's... And that's kind of backed up by your 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 list here that you kind of did the top 10 classes yeah. of all those top six. And Minnesota State's freshmen are, are the third best class in points per game. In points per game. Right behind the senior class, and then number one is Northern Michigan's sophomore class. I don't know much about that class specifically, but that's Griffin, pretty impressive. Griffin Lofren is okay. Is really putting the numbers up for that one, but I think he's a sophomore. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, you're correct. Guys, but I'm no, pretty sure correct. he's a sophomore. I switched tabs. I'm out in the pretty one. I'm in the data, the the, the, the deep back end tabs oh, here. The hard data. And you're right. Yeah, he's a sophomore. The hard data. So. I, I, if you look at Mankato's sophomore class, uh, you're going to see a little bit different story. They're actually the, their sophomore class is not very impressive, I, I, according to these numbers. But they may be some of those role players that can step in. Maybe they're not getting the opportunities uh, right now. They, they they don't have a whole lot of minutes being played by sophomores, and they don't have a lot of points being scored by their sophomores. So it's, I mean, that's just. Um, that's just the way it is. They only have four sophomores, and two of them are defensemen. Two of them are defensemen, and only one, only one forward is getting regular playing time. So, I guess it kind of makes sense that that's the case. Although one of those sophomores is a guy that Joe called out by name, Chris Van Oshaw. Um but you know he did a lot of point scoring in the league that nobody really expects necessarily for somebody to come out and do well in a heat with Saskatchewan I think or Manitoba yeah, he was Alberta I believe I don't know yeah he's one of those not BC Western Canadian leagues so and you can see it's no it's it's no secret uh, if you look at the tech bars uh, tech senior class Really, there's one player that's putting up points in the senior class, and that's Alex Smith. And there's really there's only two players total in the senior class. I'm not c- counting goalies, so I'm talking I'm talking skaters only here. 
Um, and it, it, it shows out in the, the graphs too, uh, looking at the senior cl cl the class bars, uh, text is significantly lower in points by class. But they're also the smallest class, right? It makes sense when they're the smallest class, yeah. And a couple other interesting facts. Um, I thought Alaska was interesting. Uh, they're probably the one team here that nobody really expected to be in the top six. And they're getting a lot of production from their upperclassmen. Uh, their, their seniors have played a lot of games. And, you know, they're, you know, I guess... If you look at it, it's it, it, it actually won't say just upperclassmen because it's it's sophomores, juniors, and seniors. But they have a lot of freshmen playing. They have the most games played by freshmen of any of the six, and the freshman class isn't producing very much. The freshman class is only producing point one eight points per game. But they're probably not being asked to do that much because you've got That's that true. big senior class mm -hmm. and upperclassmen. So they're they're filling those roles though and doing a good job of it. Mm -hmm. Who knows? The other thing that'd be nice, because I know the teams do this, but they're not. I'm sure they're not sharing it with each other. It'd be nice to know more about like minutes, to know, you know, just because a kid's dressed doesn't mean he's playing more than five ten minutes in a game, especially if he's a fourth liner, or that extra skater, or you know, the third D pair. Like a lot of times, you know, like Joe talked a lot about how when we're healthy and we're rolling. If if everything is going the way I want it to go, he's playing nine forwards most of the game. Like he's figuring out which lines are his best lines that weekend, and they're playing either side of timeouts, and he's doing a lot of that stuff where, you know, the top three lines or top two lines are getting a lot of minutes, and the fourth line is just there to like give guys a breather at times, and you know, you know, they're not. It's not like there's four lines and he's just rolling lines more like Mel did where when we were at our best, we were just rolling four lines and we take whatever we got from wherever we got it. Well, and I think that's the difference you see with the programs like Mankato that are at the top of the league right now. They are rolling four lines and getting production from all four lines. Joe yeah. touched on that in his show, right? He can't – yep. you know, it doesn't matter who you're matching up against Mankato. All four of those lines are are, are top – six lines everywhere or top six forwards everywhere else so you know to be successful you need that heavy depth where the success can come from all four lines and it's it lets you roll that way entire teams out that depth super important it is yeah and i guess one last thing that i'll mention on the data that actually i i was a little surprised and i was a little concerned by is i did figure out what the top 10 classes are for each of for all six um combined and there isn't a single michigan tech class in the top 10 our best class is the sophomores and, and they fall outside the top 10 the, the top 10 uh northern michigan sophomores mankato seniors mankato freshmen bemidji seniors alaska juniors northern Seniors, Bowling Green Juniors, Mankato Juniors, Bemidji Juniors, and Bowling Green Seniors. I think the other interesting thing there, too, is all top 10 there, you only have two underclassmen classes that are represented in there at all. Right? It's just Northern, right. which is the top, they're sophomores, and Mankato the freshmen from Mankato, right? Every, everyone else there is an upper class. 
And that's that's points per game, right? So points per game. Obviously, that's going to be impacted by the number of players that are playing too, right? I mean, we've only got two guys out there that can be on the ice to, from the the senior class to to get points. So, but there's a little skew there. There's a lot of but, junior classes in there, and if you look at Michigan Tech's junior class. Um, yep. It is the biggest class of any of them on the list. There's 10 players that are listed in the Michigan Tech's junior class, and it is uh, one of the l- least productive classes. Well, I think that's that's our big been our one of our biggest problems this year. We're just not scoring. We have all these one goal games, and we're just, with the exception of the, you know, the outburst with Robert Morris. I don't think we've put up, you know, uh, we haven't had some of the high scoring games like you see Mankato and Bemidji having. Well, there's there's a lot of players in that junior class that are are struggling to see the ice for Tech, and there's some of them that we didn't really have a lot of expectations to see the ice. Well, and Raisinen doesn't really count. I know you did that quick. He's he's a first year player, but he's yeah, but walk a, on, so a, junior a junior student. Yeah. Now that well, now that I'm looking at the list here, yeah, there's a couple players on there. Uh, I, I would say Raisinen and and Killinen were both walk-on type players nobody really expected them to get a lot of time so that that skews it a little bit and russell and meek have not been i i don't know like part of this is this class is that class like this is joe's first recruiting class right like like most of these are guys like this class is hurt like the senior class and this class are both kind of hurt by the shuffling from mel leaving and a lot of the top recruits from what that were supposed to come in by around this time, going to Michigan or Duluth. Yeah, I I, I think that's I think that is the case. I, and it, him taking the... flyers or taking role players because he needs bodies. Not that you know I like Missyak. I like Wrightmeyer. Rockwell's been a surprise to me. Like I honestly did not see him being. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Like he is probably all around the best defenseman on the team right now. Um, yeah, from a, maybe, from a steady performance standpoint, for sure. And, and, and he's healthy. Uh, you know, I think Ford is actually an important piece right now, and we're really missing him. But, you know. You can see that on the power play for sure. Yeah. I mean, look at the power play of Bemidji with him out. It it struggled. I think a lot, yeah. So I think, you know, Misiak and Reitmeyer, I'm surprised Reitmeyer is as low as he is in points right now. And and Joe talked about him again this week, didn't he, about, what did he say? Something about the, or maybe that was over the weekend. I don't remember where it was. Um, he was talking about how Reitmeyer can, like when he's not in the right groove, he kind of gets down on himself. And, and that's why he didn't dress on Saturday was because, when he's in that frame of mind, like Joe doesn't want to put him out there to fail and sure. basically make it worse. And you can see that too because he's not, you know, Missy X played the 27, Donahue's played 27, Reitmeyer sat four times, or how, what are we at? Yeah, that's probably right that we've had 27 games now. Yeah, because huh? we had the one extra. We have the one North extra Dakota. from North Dakota. So, yeah, that nobody in that class is necessarily like drastically underperforming I, and i and you know what i agree with you and and you're completely right but i think seeing the numbers and looking at the graphs it makes it pretty obvious that the team is still feeling the effects of that coaching change and in a class that we would expect to have a lot of production and really be the core of the team at this point right those players are missing 
Yeah, this is your problem is is you can't have and and this is your it's technically it's nine players because Raysonen doesn't really count here even if that's when he's leaving. He's played two games, Tim. I know, but he's not a junior <laughs> in the frame of the team. Yeah. I guess he's technically like a uh, JUCO transfer sort of, but like, yeah, it's hard. Anytime you have a nine player class like this and they're juniors, regardless of where they came, what the expectations when they came in, you expect them to be playing bigger roles at this point because you need them to. Well, it's just a natural progression of things, right? I mean, right. you expect your upperclassmen to pick up and, and, and fill in some of those bigger roles and some of the, you know, become the point getters. You expect, you know, if you look by the points by class, you, you should see that climb from a freshman up into the seniors. Well, and I think a lot of the reason this class looks on paper as bad as it does is because, uh, well, I th- the biggest reason I see just looking at the names is Wright Meyer's not getting the output that you would expect. He's the one that you expect to be scoring. He should be up at the 14 points Donahue is with five, six goals. And and I do want to point out that part of the reason why it maybe looks worse than it does is I would say the two best players in this class are going. defensemen. Yeah, the, the two best players, the two, two, yeah, two best players in the class are defensemen, you know, and, you know, over half of that class, no, well, five of the, half of that class is defensemen. So that's a lot of it. And then Russell and Meek, I don't know what Joe expected out of them. I th- one of th- I can't remember the stats. I'd have to look back like what they did in juniors, but I would have expected more than 12 games and no points between them. But I think part of this too is the fact that most of the guys in this class, other than Misiak and Bryce now, aren't getting the minutes because the offense is in that sophomore class. Like, they're getting top six minutes. And these guys aren't, even though they're there. Like, uh, I really like at least the core of this class, like those top six guys, as leaders for next year's team. But I still expect, like, the the then juniors and the freshmen and – the incoming freshmen and the sophomores that, you know, the freshmen, like I expect that it's going to be the same next year where most of the points are not coming from them, but they're still the leaders. They're the engine that drives the team, but you know, the pucks going in are going to be from other people. And the two best defensemen on the team will be seniors next year. And on the senior in that, in that, on that team next year, I, I would say there's a pretty good argument to be made that, Rockwell and Donahue are the two best defensemen on that team. Yeah, I would hope that Sawyer finds that spot and is the, like, he should be counted on to be a top defenseman. Him and, well, him and Goats are, you know, you've got your top four. Goats, Donahue, Sawyer, and uh, Rockwell. And another year, that'd be good. One thing we can mention that we did tweet about. Oh, yeah, the only guy on the team that got a 4.0 last semester was TJ Polglaze. I looked through the Dean's list to figure that out. I think Mike is going to write about that this week. So we got a new recruit last week. Oh, yeah, we, we should talk about that. Valkuman. Arvid Kataroth. Um, I tried to look him up. 
you know, I didn't find a whole lot other than I did find a highlight video from when he played for the uh, Swedish U-20 team, but he did not make the World Junior team. He played in some tournament this summer and and had some a couple nice highlights. I'm kind of surprised that didn't get him a spot. It didn't even look like he made the preliminary roster for the World Juniors, and I don't know. He is still 19 till May, so it doesn't... Um, it's not like he outgrew the 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 team before the tournament or anything like that unless I don't know something about when you're allowed to be 20 or whatever but you know he's six foot four 200 pounds uh, 19 years old right now from from Sweden like the kid yeah, looks you're not, you're not gonna try to pronounce the city he's from is that what, is that what just happened there? I, it's, I, there's no city on the website I looked at <laughs> sure sure what's his last name I can't remember Kataroth Kataroth, yeah. Arvid Kataroth. If you look at the players he's playing with on the on that team, the U the his junior team, not his um, what what team is that? Frolunda, the Frolunda junior team. Uh, they it's a very good team. Uh, and he is well, playing a program to be a part of. Right? A good program to be a part of. Um, the. I think the the leading scorer is is drafted. the The next two on that team are supposed to be top draft picks this oh, coming year. Yeah. His his teammate was drafted in the sixth round by the Detroit Red Wings. There you go, Tech fans. I and dropped then, a Red Wings Red Wings reference. Yeah, for I think you. if you check the next couple of guys, the one of them is projected to be a first rounder this next year. Okay. And then and then you get to him just uh, sixth on the team in scoring. So he is playing with some pretty high end talent right now. Some of the, some of the plus minus of these guys are pretty crazy. Well, th- that makes you wonder when he's only got six goals as a forward. That kind of makes you wonder how much uh, how much of his quality stats are because he's on a line with a couple of those really good players. Yeah. But at the same time, like we need playmakers you know, as much as we need finishers. So. And his size, his size is going to play well in the WCHA. I, I think he's, you know, I, we talked a couple weeks ago. We had a question about should we be worried about not getting any recruits, and Joe is to the point now where he's got it. He's got his, he's got his role players recruited out a while. He's got some skill in there too, but basically. His depth is covered, so if he's going to go and get somebody else, it's going to be somebody that he projects to be top six, you know, as at a, as a sophomore at the latest. And a guy like Kataroth can come in and probably be a fourth liner with his size day one if he needs to and still play that top six role when he needs to, and he's not going to be stuck in that Max Vallis role that he talks about on the show today or this week. Right. Where he can only play top six, he's not good enough at the other stuff to be the bottom six forward. Like I think his skill set. Like Chris plays, Connor in the NHL, right? Chris Connor's stuck in the AHL because he's a top six forward, but he's never going to be a top six forward in the NHL. Yep. That's why he's stuck where he is, because mm-hmm. he can be a top ten scorer in the AHL all day long, but he's never going to be good enough to get top six minutes. Whereas Blake Pietola, who got called up this week, is the other kind of player where he can play any role. He played top six minutes for us and then went one gold in, in Europe in the World Juniors as a fourth liner. 
And one of the and, and a very very important part of that team is a fourth liner. Correct. Yeah, he was the guy from Tech. And we're not talking about our goalie. Our goalie did not leave and get called up to the NHL. We're talking about the other cousin that's been in yeah. the <laughs> AHL for a while and called up a couple times. Blake won. <laughs> Blake won. At some point, do we just start doing Pietola like sixteen? They don't even get their first names anymore. Maybe. I know there's another one or a couple more out there that are doing pretty good. Maybe that should be a re- reoccurring segment of the Pietola family hockey Pietola update. Instead of this week in the WCHA. <laughs> and I have it on good authority that Tech's going after another top six type forward. It Is it a Pietola? It's not a Pietola. Okay. You've heard the name, but I can't say it on the radio. I don't want to ruin things or jinx anything, but... If it pans out, I think it's a good pickup. We'll see. We should know, I would think, soon. So if you don't hear anything, probably by Carnival, we probably didn't get him. And if he does commit somewhere else, I'll probably talk about it at that time. But um, we'll see what happens. I, and I do need to do some more digging. And maybe next week I'll talk a little bit more about... Um, I'm probably going to have to do some shuffling on the the future recruits schedule, like how things are going to work out, you know, what, if anything's changed and that kind of stuff. And and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit next week. Or maybe if we get six more patrons, I'll save that for the bonus episode. What's that, Dustin? Well, I was just going to say because I think Kataroth is going to have to come in sooner rather than later at 19 and skilled. The big question for me is are any of these guys committed getting pushed back a year or are they just, not coming anymore it, you know it happens and there may be players on the team that that joe knows aren't coming back for one reason or another i mean that's a possibility well, y- too you look at that junior class the way we anal- just analyze that and you look at that junior class and you go i wouldn't be surprised if if especially if a couple of those kids are able to graduate and grad transfer somewhere. Grad transfer somewhere, mm-hmm. like Beretta did. Uh, well, Beretta was not a grad transfer, but he transferred and he's doing his senior year somewhere else. But I would not be surprised if Marcus Russell or or Mitch Meek try and go somewhere else where they think they can actually get to play. Um, and yeah, and I there might be it, other programs where they're a better fit for the style. And yeah, that that could just be one of those byproducts of a coaching change. And I know Joe talked a lot about not wanting, like, that's, he talked a lot about how other coaches kind of just say, like, you're not going to play, you might as well leave, and that's not his philosophy, that's not Suzanne's philosophy. Like, they're here, we're going to try and make them better players, but if they want to go somewhere else, and 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 Joe's honest with himself that they don't have a big role, he's going to help them figure something out as best he can within the rules of the NCAA, so... You know, it'll be interesting because, like we said a couple weeks ago, Carson Bantle might be coming in next year, and you just really wonder how much according room we to, have. According to looking at the Discord right now, he's got an assist in the USHL, uh, the All-Star game that's going on right now. They've got a USHL hockey draft eligible game right now. Oh, nice. And according Is he our to, only recruit in there, probably? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I haven't seen the roster. I'm trying to re- get the roster to come up, but the USHL's webpage won't load the PDF for the roster. Okay. But yeah, I don't apparently think he's we'd... got an assist in it halfway through the first. I don't think we'd have anybody else in that game that I can think of. I, I can't, I can't think get of a roster else. to come up anyways, so otherwise I'd tell you. Because nobody else that's in the USHL right now really fits that 
Yeah, it's the well, draft eligible. Doctor could be uh, there, maybe, but they, they I do. don't think so. Um, yeah, so we'll see if we have any more news on the recruiting stuff. Um, if you guys like the recruiting talk, we need more patrons, so you can we can hit our goal of 20, and then I'll start doing the monthly uh, recruiting podcast. And then I guess the only thing left is to preview the Fair State series and do some predictions. So Fair State is not very good, but that doesn't mean they're not going to be difficult. I was wanting to look at how they've been playing. They just got swept. By? Uh, everyone. Oh yeah, they are on a <laughs> yeah. Uh, they've they've literally they, they have not won a game since December fourteenth. Yeah, against their last Huntsville. their last win against the Huntsville. Yeah, yeah. So they've lost. They got swept out so, of the GLI. It, they so got swept at Bemidji. They got swept <laughs> at home by Minnesota State and Alaska. Yeah, they're. Yeah, yeah. they had a nice little four-game non-losing streak against Anchorage and Huntsville, and then it all went to crap again. So if Tech doesn't sweep, then we can uh, talk about the sky falling. I'm going to call a split this weekend. Hello, then. darkness, my old friend. <laughs> <laughs> someone put up the we, someone put We might up have to have you sing that for next week's episode if things don't go well. <laughs> there we go. We got Just, our intro. Yeah. No, they haven't won all January, and we have not been having a good time. So I'm going to go with a tie and a, and a win for us. I'm not going to well, call it a true split. The but. truth. What's that? You were going to call a win and a tie for us? Yeah, yeah. They okay. they, they they get one out of six points from us this weekend with uh, overtime crap time I, win for us. I can't do that. They tech uh, like tech should sweep. Tech it needs need, to sweep. It needs to be a sweep. This needs like to there's be there's absolutely no that. reason that a home series against Ferris State shouldn't be a sweep. If they were playing at Ferris the way they've been playing, I would agree with you. Like, I would probably actually call a split if they were at Ferris this weekend. But hopefully they'll have enough momentum by the time they play at Ferris that they're on a roll again, and that's not a problem. But being at home this weekend, it should be a sweep. Dustin? Yeah, I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a sweep. I mean, I it, it's got to be a sweep. It's like Ferris is just plain bad. They're on a, what, eight-game losing streak. Yeah, but every game that losing streak gets bigger means there's, you know, seems like there's more of a chance to break it, so. They're 47th in the country in scoring offense, which we are 44th right now. Oh, pretty even. Yeah. Yeah, so that stat tips really heavily in our favor. And they're 57th in scoring defense while we are 13th. Hmm. That that one that one's better for us. <laughs> and going going back to your other discussion Dustin about points per game, that's why we're so low, too. We're 40-something in the country in scoring offense. Right. Yeah, we, we can't find the net. Our team is built around only allowing two goals a game, but we're not getting those three goals. But so is Bemidji, and look at how many goals Bemidji scored. Yeah, you, no. you can't argue to me that Bemidji is not a team that's built on defense. No, they are built on defense, but they're also, you know, Joe talked about this, that they're much better out of transition they're much quicker at getting it to the other end to try and score, which we have not been good at in a while. Like, you know, when we were doing really good on the power play, was that Joe's first year? 
you know how many of those remember how many of those power play goals were breakaways like we would somehow end up with a two-on-one on a power play and score like it wasn't like we were really setting up a power play and dominating and getting it to the one-timer like we would just somehow score and then we need i need to give credit here where is it i'm not i'm not a hockey coach by any stretch of the imagination yeah but watching our breakout where it's the same thing where the defenseman pops it over to the winger and then he pops it back out to the guy that's coming up the ice i think people have figured that out and our (laughs) breakouts are struggling yeah so ryan johnson on the uh the tech thread on uscho pointed out that this is not sorted by goals scored this is literally our last eight games starting with eight games ago we scored four four three three two two and one and one goal in the last eight well, this, games this fibonacci sequence is bullshit let's turn yeah. this around <laughs> well, yeah. I, based on based on the trend i didn't have to predict that ferris gets two shutouts <laughs> <laughs> which shouldn't happen oh, when oh, they're oh. allowing six and a half or three and a half goals a game average for the year We're, we've hit the bottom of the curve it's time to turn that thing around and start climbing back up the ladder <laughs> no so I'll win a couple two one games is that what you're saying I'd be okay with like just jumping right to the top of the ladder. It doesn't have to be following that nice stat curve. Yeah, we should score two goals on um, Friday night, and then five goals on or three goals on Saturday night, and then we start the Fibonacci. So then the following week it's five, right? <laughs> right. There we go. We're we're nerding out here at the end of the podcast. I think yep. the Fibonacci sequence one is gonna that's gonna fall apart pretty quick. You don't think we'll score two on Friday and three on Saturday and five next week? No, two on two and two three five sounds fine. But once, you don't think we're going to put up eight uh, like five and eight next yeah, weekend? Yeah, I think five and eight. It, it, when you get to eight, then it's a little not as realistic. Or after that, thirteen. Yeah, we're not going to hit the thirteen. <laughs> but hey, we do play Huntsville the weekend after, so we could hit five and eight. All right, so eight <laughs> eight's in play. <laughs> Uh, this is what we've come down to. Is how can we fit the tech schedule into a Fibonacci sequence? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're we're running out of things to say because the team is kind of uh, annoying and frustrating to watch at the moment. So we don't have a lot good to say. Right? Yeah, there's probably a better chance back, of eight and eight than five and eight. We fell back onto a discussion involving bar graphs and charts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why we had to look things up now, so we can't. Yeah, we're trying to get more. Uh, um yeah so we did the we we all talked about the ferris tech series bemidji mankato at mankato and northern at alaska those are probably both worth talking about a little bit uh oh and we got questions too jesus christ we're not going to get all this in are we mankato sweeps mankato sweeps you think so i yeah yeah, i agree what about alaska northern is that one in in fairbanks that's a split yeah, probably a split Friday Alaska win. Is that the is that the rule? Yeah, I think Friday Alaska. That seems to be the way it goes, right? I mean, all right. I think Fairbanks. I I'm gonna say Fairbanks sweeps. Ooh, you think they're a little too? Well, it's not like they did enough at Cornell that they're. Well, that's a hard travel to go from that's Cornell what to I'm Alaska. Thinking. It, it, two road weekends in a row from Cornell. To Fairbanks, that's yeah, because it's not like the travel to Cornell is necessary. Well, you could go right to what Albany. That's not too bad. No, right? no, you you fly into or what am I thinking? Yeah, you I'm can thinking f- of RPI, not Cornell. Yeah, there's one in. Um, well, it doesn't really matter, but yeah, 
I flew out there for work somewhere, and it's only like an hour drive from Cornell. Corning, that's where it is, Corning. So the last question came from Dave Corpy, um, our latest upgraded patron to the black level. Tech had stuck with Jerusalem for a stretch of games prior to Friday night when Piedla had what appeared to be a bit of a rough start. What are your thoughts on how Joe approaches uh, goaltending starts over the course of the rest of the regular season? Does he ride uh, Maddie or use the relatively weak remaining schedule to give Badoon and Piedla a chance to build confidence for the playoffs and experience for next year? It'll be interesting to see who plays Friday. Because, and I'm guessing it'll be Matt because he put Matt played Saturday, right? So I'm guessing it'll be Matt again, but I would not be surprised. Yeah. Especially on home games, the next, the two home series we have, if Beidoun and Piedela don't get a chance. I'm honestly surprised, based on his number since he's been at Tech, that Beidoun isn't the number two right now. Um, I was kind of confused to see Piedela start on Friday, anyways, away in, in Bemidji. I with well, he with how he, well Jurassic he fought playing. it. Away he fought it a lot last weekend. Like the, spot you know, to, the, the series before, like, but it is surprising to me that yeah, you take a freshman and throw him into Bemidji, where you know you give up one goal and your team is way behind the eight ball. Like that's that's not the spot I would expect him to throw a freshman that hasn't played in a while into a game. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what he's going to do. Hopefully it does. I, I'm guessing he's basically going to play Jerusalem three out of every four games till the end here, but try and get the other guys some playing time over these eight games. And then from the Northern game on, it's Jerusalem unless, unless one of them goes in and gets a shutout and, just continues to perform and, and it's somebody else, but I have a feeling it's Jerusalem. Uh, so we got, what, eight, ten, ten games left in the regular season, so I bet Jerusalem starts eight of them unless he has some bad performances. And God, I hope he doesn't over the next eight games. I guess it all depends on what you know, Joe's metrics for goalies said on for Saturday, right? He's pretty rigid on his metrics, and he's got expectations for his goalies to hit the numbers. Yeah. And if Jerusik didn't hit the numbers, I, I doubt that he starts on Friday. Well, he only gave up one on Saturday. Well, other that, than that's true, so and, he and probably the, hit the numbers. I he well, he gave up the the super time goal, but I don't know how Joe counts that stuff. I can't imagine that's the same because it's not fair to to. To compare a three, like, it wasn't good, the goal he gave up, but I don't think the goal's on Jerusalem at all, the way that went down. Like, that, like it's basically a breakaway, like a three-on-one almost, or three-on-two. Like, it's not, yeah, I don't know how he counts that in the grand scheme of things, but two goals, I think he said, I don't remember what he said. Did you catch what he said today, Rob, on the show, about how many scoring chances... No, I don't remember exactly what was said about the overtime stuff. I think you would kind of throw out the three-on-three stuff when it comes to his. Well, I, I, like you said, I can't imagine that includes in the normal calculus. I mean, that's stats, but it was. It's weird. Yeah, Bemidji only had 19 shots, and I thought he said something about nine or ten scoring chances, and that that's definitely hitting Joe's number of one and seven, I think it is. Well, in that case, then I think Jurusic starts. 
Because I, I don't think Joe is going to deviate from that. I, no, I, I, I think I think Jerusik's going to start. Yeah, I don't know what he's going to do because it's this is the stretch where he should, if he's going to play Beidoun and Pietla at all this year, this is the stretch where they get some more playing time. Well, then I think the way that he's going to he is going to handle that is he goes he goes into the weekend and says, "Hey, Matt." You earned the start Friday night, but regardless of how that goes, we're going to start so-and-so Saturday. Yeah. And even if if that's the case, even if Jerusalem goes and gets a shutout, then you know, Pietola or Beidoun should start Saturday, in my opinion. I, yeah, I, I agree Just have with that. that plan going I think, in. I think, I think Jerusalem's going to play at least one game the next four weeks, but I wouldn't be surprised if Beidoun and Pietola each get a start over those eight games just so they – get some time, and I'm sure some of that's going to depend on practice as to which one of those two gets that game, but I I wouldn't be surprised if both of them get a game over those eight games. Yeah, they might. Especially since it's it goes it is home road, home road, right, over the next eight? Home. So it probably yes. would be, you know, one of them might start this weekend, Saturday, and then one of them might start the, um, what's our other home series, Rob? Against the Lakers, yeah. So, yep. one of them probably starts. Well, I don't know. I I can't really imagine him splitting up the home games for Carnival with Carnival involved. But who knows? Especially the way the Lakers played us the first time at home, or in in Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah, those were games that we were lucky to win. Yeah, so maybe it will just be the one game that's not Jerusik unless he doesn't have a good period and then somebody comes in or something. But Or he needs to spark the team like he's done a few times. Um, thanks, everybody, for all the questions. I think now we're going to run the rest of the Ryan Johnson segment from last week where we talked about non-MTU jerseys. It's couple of favorite jerseys in the NCA now that aren't tech? Well, there's so many choices out there. I think, you know, the schools really fall into two categories. You have the schools that are very, very traditional with their with their designs. Like I think Michigan Tech generally falls into, you know, Wisconsin. Had the diagonal Wisconsin across the front forever. Boston University. Very classic, yep. Says Boston almost every year. Very little changes year to year. You know, I can appreciate those designs, but it's like, how many of those can I collect when all you're doing is changing manufacturers year to year? One that has really stood out to me in the last couple of years um, that I think is probably one of the most classic college sweaters I've ever seen, and it is truly a sweater. The University of Vermont Catamounts did an alternate style by Reebok, uh, started probably five or six years ago uh, with a Chanel crest, like an old varsity letterman's jacket, all felt and embroidered. I mean, it was like the classiest crest I've ever seen. Three color numbers had this thick knit neckline and they wore that jersey, you know, almost 50% of the time. It was beautiful. I can't imagine what it cost them to make, um, but just an absolute beautiful jersey. And then it's supplemented by Hockey East doing these amazing five-year anniversary patches every five years in the conference. I've kind of lamented this many times with the WCHA, this long-standing historic conference. They don't ever promote their long-standing history. We got to the 50th year of the conference. We did a little patch one inch high by two inches long and stuck it on the back of the neck in one color. 
And here's Hockey East just every five years, you know, proclaiming, hey, we're at 20 years, 25, you know, 35 most recently. Uh, I really wish the WCHA would do something to promote that history because it's, you know, one of the longest standing conferences ever in any sport. Uh, and we just don't seem to ever play up that history uh, in the college hockey landscape of things. So is that the the Matt O'Donnell jersey you've got on your site? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, there's a couple of them there. I've had a few of them over the years. Uh, I've been fortunate to have a pretty good connection uh, with the guys up at Vermont. Uh, I think I have a captain's version right now that's on the site uh, and an alternate captain as well. Um, but they're just they're amazing in person. I mean, I can't even really describe how how cool they are from a jersey collector standpoint. I know a lot of people. Eh, it's a uniform. It is what it is. But when you've seen as many as I have, that one really stands out from the group. Um, if there's one that goes on the uh, dishonorable mention, I, one that always still I scratch my head about, the University of Minnesota did one. Um, gosh, this must have been back in the mid-90s, maybe I think it was. The Hankinson jersey? Yeah, not the one with the little cute gopher on the front. It still had the traditional block M but they did like a subtle striping on the fabric pattern, almost like a soccer jersey. And what made these jerseys really strange to me is that on the inside, they are felt lined. Oh, God. <laughs> that has got to be horrible to play in. I can't even imagine how hot that would be. I The first time I saw one, I was like, this has got to be some prototype. You know, this can't be what they actually wore. And it was because I've seen a couple of them in person over the years. But it was another jersey that was designed by one of the players, uh, Casey, at the time. He was doing an internship at Gemini, who was a major producer of uh, Division I college hockey jerseys and a ton of high school jerseys, especially in Minnesota. And so he came up with this was one of the two designs he came up with. The part that I found was really unique and I really appreciated about it. That year, Minnesota had all Minnesota-born players on the roster. And so each player on the back of their jersey, there's a patch that shows the outline of the state of Minnesota and a little star where their hometown is. And I just thought that was super cool. That is a cool touch. But I would never want to wear a felt line jersey, and I'm sure the players were not thrilled with it either, but they wore them for a couple games, and then they went into the history books never to be seen again. I like the um, – I don't know if they're wearing them this year. I think they wore them last year. Um, Mankato's. Uh, Mavericks with like the like the D two logo. With yeah, the, like, the one the, with the, it's the like Maverick. the steer on the front. Yeah. And this, uh, yeah, that's a sweet jersey. Can we talk about jerseys without mentioning the bumblebee? I mean, is that possible? <laughs> yeah, they had that. Uh, that was the year uh, Tech played them in the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame game, and Tech actually did a similar jersey as well. Again, it was a one year style. I've had a few of those over the years. Again, it wasn't like. The most unique style, but it was uh, definitely different at the time. It's the same time that the piano dog was coming out. So I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle uh, because we went with piano dog going forward, you know, for all the many years after that. So that was another one year style that they came out. They wore it a few times at home as well. Um, but then they raffled them off to the fans at games, never to be seen again. I mean, as much as I hate green and gold jerseys, I really like Anchorage's. The the, the Seawolf is such a unique logo that I think it actually works pretty well on the front of the jerseys. Uh, a couple of the styles they've had with that dark green color just look really good. I'm just looking at your photos. I, I'm getting a kick out of the like uh, 98 to 2004 
uh, Connecticut Huskies jerseys with yeah. like the way you folded that so the striping like lines up and like it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. You know, from that from that same conference, one I was also going to give an honorable mention to, just again for its uniqueness. Again, this may not appeal to the purest of the hockey fans, um, but in the mid '90s, '94, '95 for sure, Providence College did a pinstripe jersey with their skating friar logo, and then Providence arched above it across the top, and then the sleeves to help the numbers stand out. They did a solid black patch with white twill numbers on top of it. I've never seen anything like it before it, never anything since. It looks like the Yankees on ice, but, you know, again, it's unique. It was a cool one-time jersey, and uh, just for them doing something different, I got to give them kudos for that. Do you have one of those? I had one uh, many years ago, but a province alumni said, got to have it, got to have it, and uh, I don't remember what I gave up and what I got in return and trade for it, but I know it was pretty substantial because I really did not want to give that jersey up. I just I liked it so much from the uniqueness standpoint, but uh, he said, oh, I'm an alum, I got to have it, and I kind of have a soft spot, soft spot to give uh, jerseys back to players or to alumni. You know, I think they're much more meaningful to them, so I let that one go. Yeah, it's hard not to just think of the classic jerseys like Boston University and Wisconsin – and just appreciate those. Yeah, Maine's, Maine's jerseys are another one, too, with a little bit of a unique color scheme that they've got there with that light blue and dark blue together that just works so well as well. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of the schools out east, another trend I've seen uh, both in the ECAC as well as Hockey East. Now there's a few schools that are doing their, their school crests on the front of the jerseys now. Yeah, there's a couple of those that you had there. Those look, uh, was it Quinnipiac or is it Merrimack? Somebody had one that looks fantastic. Merrimax. Yep, Merrimack's done one. Um, Princeton done one recently. Maine did a sort of a variation on that. Uh, I just think those are, you know, again, something different, something alternative. Uh, I don't know how well Tech would pull it off with a round school crest. It's kind of like our Roundell jersey we already have and, we're not liking that from a fan sitting standpoint, but, you know, it would be something different, but I don't think it's quite as unique as some of the ones I've seen from out east where they kind of have that shield shape to them. I think they just look a little cooler than something in a circle. The one other one that I want to point out is I've always liked the uh, the Lakers anchor and the color scheme. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that has a, any blue and gold has a soft spot for me. Those are high school colors. So like anchor, the anchor jerseys from uh, Lake State and uh, the the jerseys from Alaska. I'm a big fan of. Oh, that UIC jersey. I I don't think I have nine hundred dollars, but that's a pretty sweet jersey. <laughs> Those are probably one of the most sought after defunct teams out there. I mean, there's been a few teams in the last twenty years that have gone away, but for whatever reason. Um, maybe it's just the void currently. Maybe we'll have a team soon in Illinois again, but that void of Division I hockey in the state of Illinois seems to create this fervor for those UIC jerseys. I mean, I fought tooth and nail for years. I knew where they were. I knew where I could get one, but they would not let them go. And uh, finally, actually, when Tech went to play at the Arizona series a couple years ago for their tournament, the guy was wearing it in the stands. I knew him. I went up to him and I said, what's it going to take to get that from you? And a few weeks later, we struck a trade deal and uh, 
brought it home. But man, those are another tough one to come by. There's a few out there, but the alumni just will not let them go. What's that under on your site there, if I can take a peek? It's under uh, the CCHA. Between Alaska and Michigan there, down at University of such and such. Oh, that is a weird-looking jersey, too. Ooh. It's not a nice-looking one, but it's unique, that's for sure. Yep. And it's another one of those Chanel, Chanel crests. Um, it's pretty cool in person. All right, that's enough of the Ryan Johnson segment. Uh, that should do it for this week uh, on the Chasing McNaughton podcast. Please check out our Patreon and join by visiting patreon.com slash techhockeyguide. Patrons at our black level or above receive an authentic MTU jersey patch, which I now have in my possession. Once you guys have paid two months for patrons at that level, I will mail it out to you. Uh, along with that, you'll get extra or access to extra podcast content, including the unpublished ep- episode zero. If we can get six more patrons, I will start doing the monthly recruiting podcast. Follow us on Twitter at ChasingMacPod or at Tech Hockey Guide. You can submit questions through our email, ChasingMac at TechHockeyGuide.com, or send a voice message directly at anchor.fm slash ChasingMacPod. Otherwise, we do... Uh, ask questions or ask for questions on Twitter, Facebook, and Patreon. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find the podcast on your site of choice, please let us know and we'll make it happen. Please check out Jonathan Zameda's series preview every Friday and Mike Antleitner's Old Dog in Texas series uh, or column every Wednesday. You can find all this and more at techhockeyguide.com. Maybe someday I'll get the all-decade team stuff done. Thanks again to our newest patrons, Mark Holmstrom, Gordy Smith, Zach Oftenberg, Lucas Wilder, and Mark Miscarrick, plus Dave Corpy for upgrading his status to black. We really appreciate your commitment to the podcast. As always, special thanks to Mitch Lake for being kind enough to record a new introduction for the podcast and our patron saint, Doc McRezen, for his generous donation to get this thing running. We hope you enjoy. Also, thanks to the thank you notes for all the bumpers in this week's episode. If you like what you hear, check them out at thethankyounotes.bandcamp.com.
Especially for me.